You are listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends. Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness. And we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. And this is Reverend Anna Galladay. And we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for all of us to get our hands dirty. Dr. Roberto, how are you? You are. You are. There's there. There are a lot of songs that talk about Middle America, and every time you every time you say that, I'm like, I have songs in my head that I that some of my my musician friends sing, and I'm like, I just play play a little soundtrack in my head about Middle America. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful here. Um, I most people know I went to seminary in Chicago. And I was just there visiting my teacher and advisor, Dr. Nancy Bedford, and she said that I just missed the fall colors. And it was one of the things that I really loved about the Midwest, the oranges and the reds. Yeah, we are, our trees are starting to change down here in Chattanooga now. And so we will, we'll hit kind of our peak color um, in the next week and a half. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I am loving kind of driving around and watching some of these trees burn into beautiful, um, warm colors. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty spectacular being here at the base of the Smokies and like being able to see that. Yeah. So I, I get that fully, but you are, you are not in Chicago now. You I'm are in Chicago now. I'm not in Chicago now, but I did want to say just to comment on the fall colors. Sometime I want to go to Vermont to see the fall colors. Cause it's amazing. Cause I, I, um, I went to this weird, I don't know. It felt kind of cultish. Uh, Melissa Green was there and a whole bunch of evangelicals were there. <laughs> um, I was in New Hampshire maybe, or I don't remember where I was. Remember yeah. this trip that I took? I do. Yes. And it was beautiful, but it was also in the winter. And so it was cold. And, right. Or it was, it was in November. So it was already cold and snowy. Um, but sometime I want to go to Vermont to see the fall colors. I yeah. hear Vermont is an interesting place to be. It is. It is. Right. I, have, I have not spent a ton of time there, but the time I have spent there has been lovely and interesting. Yeah. yeah. So... So yeah, no longer in Chicago. I took a what was supposed to be a two-hour train ride from Chicago Union Station to Bloomington to um, see the Averys. Um, most people know that I lived with the Averys when I was uh, teaching in Berkeley, and Deb is now the pastor in Peoria. And I came to see the Averys for a little bit, and. You know, because I can work remotely, I can. In fact, we're recording remotely. I'm. I'm not national. We are. So. We are. But yeah, I'm in Middle America. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you have a, a new background. I, I, I 
don't mind seeing you in different spaces. I do miss the occasional wandering in and out of one of the kitty cats while we're recording. I often see one of them uh, kind of peeking their head in behind you. And so I will not jumping up or jumping up or jumping up and right, right, right. And mine does that too. But yeah, we, uh, that, that's the one thing I do miss, but you know, it's nice that we are able to record from wherever we are. And you know, we are, we are back to living, a a, a, a what feels like in a very aggressive yeah. travel filled schedule. Like my calendar looks like someone like threw up on it. Yeah. It's just so, so busy and so packed. Um, I will, I will, one of the things that you and I are in the process of working on now is, um, there's a, a, an organization that I work for in addition to the activist theology project that is hosting a a summit where we're featuring the voices of historically marginalized humans. And, um, I am the, the gift that I have in this process is that I am kind of the person that's on the other side of this interview. And so I get to sit in all of these amazing conversations and, and ask some really difficult questions around kind of the state of the time that we're living in. Yeah. And, uh, it's been a gift for me and also, um, you know, scheduling an extra five to seven calls every week right. is like, whoa, I'm, <laughs> I already felt like I was overprogrammed, and now I'm like, there's very little extra time in yeah. my, in my day. Well, and you're going to have to schedule another one because Marcy, you know, said that she would be a part of it. And yeah. Marcy Alvis Walker, who you, you all have heard on this mm-hmm. podcast is going to, is going to join us. And she so, said that she would do anything for us. I, she's, she's such a lovely human. Yeah. Such and she's a got a book human. coming out um, yeah. next year. So we yeah. will want to have her back on the podcast. For sure. Um, you know, for when sure. the book comes out. But yeah. Yeah, this the background is kind of plain, you know. I'm a Presbyterian church, so yeah, it looks a little sterile. It looks yeah. a little, you know, either church conference room or hospital like. Yeah. So, uh, which you know, depending on any day, could be one and the same. Um, I'm actually in the library, and <laughs> in the I, library, okay. I got I got the story of the library. The library used to con- it used to be just walled with books. Okay. And. Um, Books ranged from the Left Behind series, Beth Ooh. Moore, and John Shelby Spong. Oh, so well, quite the array of books. Right? And then upstairs, a sprinkler broke and ruined all the books. And oh. the church ladies who are in their 80s said, We don't want to do the library anymore. And so, Deb, who is the pastor now, is has reconfigured the library and is going to curate the library. Oh, nice. Well, instead at least of, instead of having everyone donate everything from everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, all of you who are in the church or have, especially those of you that have been in leadership in the church, chuckle when you hear stories like this because the church inevitably becomes the catching ground for everything that people don't want in their homes anymore. Someone has a piano that they want to give away. Oh, maybe the church needs it. Even if the church already has three, someone need, uh, someone wants to get rid of their 1980s couch. Oh, I bet the youth group would love a couch in their, in their room. And inevitably we get all the shit that nobody else wants. Yep. 
and have a very hard time saying no yeah. and and then end up having to have yard sales and cleanups or sprinklers burst right. in order for us to be able to right. uh, natural disaster get, get rid of things without breaking people's hearts <laughs> right right so well, what's really interesting and i think this is a great idea um the church where i'm at was they merged with another church in the 2000s which churches do all the time and deb who is now the pastor here wants the church to tell the story of the history of this church. And so instead of putting a whole bunch of books in the library, she wants to get like a muralist to tell the story. And, and you know, she's trying to do sort of congregational revitalization. They've got an industrial kitchen. And I said, well, you know, Anna does all this neighborhood equity work. You should, yeah. you should contact her. And so, um, there may be opportunities for us is my nice. point. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So how are you otherwise? You're, you're traveling a lot. You're in Peoria now. You've, um, you've had a whirlwind week. Um, how, how, how have things been otherwise? Well, good. I, um, you know, I still have this question, which I know that we talked about last week on FaceTime of just, you know, how do I stay safe? And um, even though I'm vaccinated and boosted three times, um, with 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 the way that my work is, you know, it's people invite me to come be with them, and so right. how do I do that safely, sustainably, et cetera? But right. um, so other than sort of managing that anxiety. I'm well. I had a great visit to my seminary and got to sit in class and contribute and then recorded a couple conversations with Nancy that I'm hopeful we can sort of clean up and edit and put it on our app. And, you know, I have this idea of like doing master classes with experts. And I think that, you know, each of us could like interview people and then you know, to invite people into critical thinking. Yeah. Um, but I'm good. I'm, I, I've had interesting experiences in my lift rides, which I don't like taking, um, because of the harassment that I've received and never, never quite can tell, you know, what happens in these, in these drives. But, um, and I especially don't like taking lifts alone. Um, but, you know that was my choice. I that was my only choice, really, to right. to take. I could I could have taken public transportation, but it was raining, and I had a bunch of bags with me, and the camera, and it was easier to to take a lift. But on Tuesday, when I landed at four, it was going to be a two hour ride to my hotel in Evanston, and I, you know, got in the car and um, first of all. He, the driver was a brown man who was calling me, yes, sir, and whatnot. Um, so that was, Yay, that, that was, yeah, that, right, that was right. something that was happening. I also think he was a little bit confused because when he asked me if I had a partner and I said, yes, he said, the driver said, what is his name? So maybe he thought I was a gay man or... I mean, 
Were you wearing your caftan? <laughs> no. I'm kidding. No, I was, I was, what was, oh, I was wearing a hoodie and, yeah. and, um, and I mean, a t-shirt. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, you're, who you knows? are yeah. an old, in, in many sectors, you are an old gay man. So, right. like, right. you know. So I he mean, was reading me right. Not that much of a stretch. <laughs> yeah. So I, I might have surprised him when I said, well, her name is. Maybe I should have said their name is, but anyways, so, um, so anyways, I'm on this two hour ride and he discloses that he is Muslim and he had asked me what I did. And I always, you know, when people ask me what that, that question, you know, I, I either lie and say, I'm a roofer or, or I tell the truth. This time I decided to tell the truth. Well, that opened the door to a two-hour conversation, and I just wanted to sit and be quiet and not talk. But he was very interested in talking and wanted to know what my religion was and what my spiritual practices were. And um, and then the conversation turned to how the world is on fire because I had told him that I had just spent some time in Palestine and he said, Oh, that's very interesting. And, and I said, yeah, you know, the, the news that we get here is all propaganda. And he said, Oh, so you know, the real story Now he's from India and he's been here for 25 years. And so we talked a little bit about India and how it's overpopulated and, you know, a billion people, with not enough, you know, resources. But we then got to talking about violence and and how religion and and I know people who are listening to this will maybe stop their car or sit down as soon as I say this, but this man said if we were more connected to our traditions and to our religion, we might have less violence in the world because the St. Louis shooting had just happened. He was lamenting that, you know, if the, if, if our kids were in church, if, if, if we were teaching them, you know, and he's teaching, he's teaching his two daughters, you know, a traditional Indian culture. Um, and his kids are in high school and so it's just very interesting of, you know, what do we retain from our traditions? What, what shouldn't we retrieve? Um, what can we not live without? And it just got me thinking about our work and how... I mean, I would still say, and people might sit down when I say this or stop listening, but I mean, I still think the church is one of the best things we have. I just don't think we're doing it right. But church, as we understand like community and sharing and being invested in one another, I think I think that is still good work. I, I, right. I just think that we're not doing it well. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we, I at first, I love that this human, you know, was interested in engaging you in this kind of yeah. conversation. And sometimes you, 
begin conversations like that in a lift or a taxi or, you know, as you're checking out at the store and you have a finite amount of time to try to, you know, kind of synthesize down something into a seven minute conversation that really should take two hours. Uh, You had, you had that, you know, the, the ability to kind of have a more breath filled, right. um, An expansive conversation with this human, which I think is part of the value in, in having this kind of talk. I mean, you know, you and I are going to chat about this for 30 minutes and, in no way, in, in no way kind of capture a, any kind, any semblance of kind of what's next or, or yeah. what the true essence of, of the, of the challenge is. But, you know, as you, as you say that, you know, we are, that, that church is one of the best things we have, um, and yet we aren't doing it right. I, I always have in my mind's eye, the, the image of church illustrated like a Venn diagram. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, many of us, when we think of Venn diagrams, and for those of you that aren't familiar with those, that's when kind of each section of something is illustrated within a circle. And then you overlap those circles just by slight amounts to kind of create a center point that captures all of the pieces and elements of those circles. And sometimes a Venn diagram is as simple as two circles that intersect to form a third space. Um, I see the church as many circles that intersect to form a, a multiplicity of spaces with themselves and then as one whole. So, you know, community and connection may intersect to form the true kind of rich and robustness of what it is to be in relationship as people of faith. Mm -hmm. But then to the point that your Uber driver or Lyft driver was making, you know, rhetoric and violence also intersect to form a, a piece of the church that is highly problematic and nowhere near the kind of, uh, you know, interlapping or overlapping piece that you find in the relationality side right. of the work. And so there's there's so much to being the church, being a community of faith that I agree with him that violence in some ways could be mitigated were we to look more closely at our traditions and be more mindful of what those traditions have taught us. And I also think that it is in those traditions that in many cases violence is affirmed. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be really careful which parts of our traditions we carry with us. Right. And which parts of those, I mean, because if, if, if I am to sit here as a, 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 40-something-year-old Christian, a United Methodist who was born and raised in the church from the, the, the literally the day I was brought home from the hospital, and to talk to someone about everything I learned about being a Christian, those conversations would ultimately entail 
a, a story of a man named Noah who survived the ending of the earth by a vengefilled God who right. was tired of people not paying attention. Right. Um, that kind of violence is a part of my tradition. Yeah. It is, it is a part of my history. Yep. Now, am I, am I wise enough to recognize that the likelihood that God destroyed the earth in a flood is not something that happened in, in real life? Yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, are, are there metaphors that guide the way that stories are told in our biblical understanding? And does it take kind of a real... You mean the flood is not real? I, I Oh, gosh. Oh, okay, okay. Now you might want to sit down and stop your car. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean... It, it, you know, we have, we, I mean, my tradition is a beautiful, grace-filled, love-centered tradition. And also, I was taught from a very young, young age that if someone, you know, that, that an eye for an eye is, is, you know, why, why we as Christians believe that the death penalty is something that we should be okay with. We, we cannot, we cannot carry with us the robustness of our tradition. If we want to center ourselves in this kind of uh, utopia that your Lyft driver was referring to. And so that's my, like, that's the, the push and pull that I have with this conversation is that, we we are our faith is a, a multiplicity of all of the things that we bring to it mm-hmm. and some of those things are violent you know when i was in high school so a lot of people know if they've read my books that i had a brain aneurysm when i was 16 and then two open craniotomies to fix it and while i was recovering um be, because i was in gifted and talented and had already reached all of my credits. I only took two classes as a senior band and government. Wait, so you were smart even then? Yeah. 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 I'm kidding. So, <laughs> of course so you were. I dropped out of calculus and physics because I had missed a week and it just was too much to, to handle. So I only had two classes. So I was in band was first period. And so I was done at, you know, like 1030 the whole year. And so um, a friend from church, you know, she had a car. So and I wasn't driving then because, um, you know, my family thought I was crazy because I had brain surgery. But she would, we would go to lunch and, you know, hang out and whatnot. And some, at some point that senior year, I really began thinking seriously about the death penalty and, and that it was morally wrong. And I asked this person, um, do you think the death penalty is wrong? And she and, said, and, well, and, you're, and you're in Texas where they kill right. more people in the United States than any other state in, in, in our, in our country. So. I mean, I'm living in a state that has named their electric chair Sparky, right? So I um, asked Jamel, um, my friend, if she thought the death penalty was wrong. And she replied, well, the Bible says an eye for an eye. 
And I thought, gosh, that can't, that can't be. So even, even, even as a young person, I'm being shaped by this discourse, right? But even as a young person, I had a kind of curiosity or a promiscuity intellectually and right. theologically right. that something is not right here. Yeah, same. I mean, I, I began to I began to question some of these things when I was probably 16 or 17. And I mean, my parents joke that, I mean, it's the point that they, that when I started having these questions, it was the point that they realized that I was going to be a Democrat. Uh, um, and, and, and I mean, there is a, like little, there's a little frivolous, know like, you're, you're further, like, so even far past that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, you know, they, they knew that in my questioning and in my interrogating of some of the things that I was being taught in church, yeah. um, that I was not buying into just a, a, a kind of faith and a kind of, um, praxis around that faith that could be, be delivered to me and I would eat it as it was presented. Right. Like I was not, I was not going to just, you know, kind of eat the food that was on my plate. I was going to pick at it and like look at it and decide if it was good and if I wanted mm -hmm. it and not eat the things I didn't want to eat. And, right. and I, um, you know, I mean, and it's what it's it's part of what led me very early, um, you know, in the '90s to as a you know as someone who identified fully and wholly as a, a straight human at that point to start to interrogate queerness mm -hmm. um, in a way that looked very different than anything I had ever understood because I began to know and love people who looked more like God than the people that I had grown up with yeah. and yet, you know, were not, uh, were, were, were gay humans. So, yeah. um, but this, 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 back to this kind of conversation around violence, I, I wonder what you would say to someone who now in 2022 as a Christian, not as a, a Muslim American, would say, if we could get our kids back to church, we would be a less violent people. Mm -hmm. What What would you say to someone like that? Well, you know, uh, I think I've said this here on this podcast. I, I know that I have said it in public settings before, but the term Christian is now synonymous with Christian nationalism and white supremacy. And so I think that we really have to interrogate these terms that we're using. And, you know, the Lyft driver even commented on the recent shooting in St. Louis and saying, if we were more connected to our traditions, this wouldn't happen. And yet, um, at least in Nashville on the 21st of October, the Proud Boys. Christian nationalist and our state legislature convened at a rally to end trans care. And so um, for some people, Christianity is inherently violent and, and that is part of our history. You know, I mean, what do we do with the crusades and what do we do with colonialism? 
Um, but I, I, I don't know that, I mean, this is a hard one because the church is complicit in supremacy culture and there are some communities that are abolitionist and doing good. And so I guess the question I have is how do we find those abolitionist communities who are living out, who are continuing on the way of Jesus, right? Right. And not, um, not establishing a kind of institutional dogma of certainty that like requires assent to like propositions that, that are supremacist. Right. Or that are death bringing. And what does the in-between look like? Right. I mean, we, you know, the, the two, the two areas that you mention are, um, you know, what I would kind of determine as like uh, the, the hell and the utopia of, of a, a faith come to life. Right. Um, and in the middle of that, and and not just like in the middle as one, but in the middle as a range, there are communities that are truly good and kind of love-filled communities that are still trying to figure their shit out. Yeah. But are doing more, more, more good in the world than they are harm. Um and then there are other communities that are really struggling to determine whether they are on the side of Christian nationalism or can move themselves more to the pliable middle mm-hmm. in order to kind of understand really what it is that Jesus is calling them to do right. and how they move into that, that space of being more on their way to abolition and um, a radical love than they are where they are now. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that it, 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 I think for many of our listeners and, and for many of the people I know, they are not in those, one of those two extremes um, of utopia or, or hell on earth. They are in the middle mm-hmm. and they're trying to find their way through the stuff that the community that they are a part of is dealing with in order to, you know, to reach a more true version of what, what their faith could look like uh, lived out in a more Jesus-like or Allah-like way, depending on what tradition it is that they're, that they're a part of. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's that middle Peace, which I think is a significant percentage of the people that I know and love, that is curious to me. Mm-hmm. Because there are so many, there's so many ways it can go. There's so many options of of, you know, it I mean it literally can turn on a dime, whether it's yeah. a, you know, whether it's a, a positive or a negative. Right. Um, and so I am always asking the question, how do we accelerate the movement towards utopia, towards a a faithful utopia for those in the middle? Um, How do we illustrate 
what that can look like, Mm -hmm. what a liberative future can look like for them um, in still being faithful to the tenets of the, the faith that has brought them and also pushing the boundaries towards liberation and abolition and rightness in, in ways that, you know, that are, that are intentional. I mean, that's what our retreat is all about. Right. Right. We haven't told everyone about the retreat, but we I'm, haven't. I'm, hinti- I'm hinting at something. You're hinting. You're hinting. Yeah. We are going to be gathering next year in 2023 and kind of doing this, this deep work. Um, and we'll be announcing all the details on that and hope you guys might, some of you might want to join us in that conversation. But, um, I mean, there's so, there's so much possibility for us as people of God. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I still maintain a, a bend towards Jesus. I mean, I am, I have not yet given up on, you know, what it looks like for me to be a follower of yeah. Jesus and what it looks like to, you know, to live out that, that calling. And also, I can't in honest, I can't with, with all honesty say that I believe your Lyft driver when he says that if I could just get, you know, like if I, if I could just get my friends to be more faithful, that the violence that I see on my streets would, would dissipate. Yeah. I just, it, I just don't buy it. It It's... It's kind of a simple understanding of religion, right? It doesn't take in the complexities right. of um, religion or the history of Christianity or Islam because there are – there are factions within both of those, right? Um, there are secular Christians, right, and there are fundamentalist Christians, right. And we're seeing how fundamentalist Christians are and have shaped our politics into Christian nationalism, and people are not ashamed right. of that. Well, I mean, let's, and let's, I mean, you know, to, to kind of expose another fold of this, you know, what, what in and of itself does violence mean? Um, my assumption is just based on kind of the lament that your driver was feeling over the shooting that had occurred in St. Louis, that he was talk, I mean, his bend in this conversation was towards physical violence. Right. And yet, you know, violence is occurring in every single facet of our communities, whether it is related to economic violence or um, justice-based violence, um, whether it's related to land theft, whether it's related to, um, you know, the way that we are violent with our words and with our, our physical um, actions and microaggressions and, right. and, and the flippancy with which we engage one another. I mean, I think of, you know, I, I, all of us are waking 
up to the news that, you know, Kanye was finally dropped by Adidas for the, the anti-Semitic bullshit nonsense that he's been spewing. I mean, you know, you have this human who um, has gone from screaming at the top of his lungs that George Bush doesn't care about black people to wearing a white lives matter shirt and spewing anti-Semitic rhetoric. Now I recognize that there are other, there are other things happening in that conversation around Kanye, whether it's related to trauma responses or, um, Mental health. And men- mental health um, things, none of which I am in any way able to speak to. Yeah. Um, but the violence that this man has caused with his words and the the aggression of of wearing what he what he wears and and just kind of being a very, very public and well-loved human in our, in our world and, and still, still doing this and, and for a long time getting away with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, Adidas was so fucking slow to response. I mean, I was trying to see like how long it was going to take me before I could start wearing my stuff again. Right. Like I, I didn't know. I, I mean, I put all my stuff away because I was so frustrated. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, I don't know. It's, um, I mean, that kind of violence is also illustrated through our faith. Yeah. And, and is, and people are using, you know, violence around our economic systems and, and all of these other things to, to ju- you know, they're using their faith to justify that violence. Well, and you know, in the same breath that my Lyft driver said, we need to be more connected to religion and in our tradition so that we can stop the violence. We entered into the north suburb of Chicago, which is Evanston, still in Cook County, and Evanston is an affluent, not as affluent as Wilmette or Winnetka. But it is affluent, you know, it's the home of Northwestern University. And and so we entered into Evanston and he said, you know, Evanston is nice. And I said, yeah, but you got to have a lot of money to live here. And then he said, you know, a lot of Jews live here. And <sighs> I just thought, you're saying, I mean, it felt anti-Semitic to me. Yes, absolutely. And And I thought, oh, this is very interesting. Like you're saying we need to be connected to our religious traditions and yet your rhetoric is is violent right well and that's the complexity of us as humans right i mean every one of us no matter how um how connected we feel to one another in community or how um much our praxis is centered around anti-racism and anti-capitalism and and anti um, you know, queer, anti-queer rhetoric, all of those things. Like we, we are still human doings and human beings who are, Mm -hmm. who, who, you know, who bring all of the shit baggage that, that has brought us here with us. Some of us have unloaded some of it, but most of us are still carrying parts of that around with us. And so, you know, here is this, here's this human who, you know, 
really wants to engage in a conversation around the tenets of his faith and also is violent, deeply compromised and violent in the rhetoric that he has around, you know, Jewish humans who live in a community. Um, and, and, and it just, it's just so messy. Um, and it, and it illustrates the the ways in which, I mean, I mentioned earlier in this episode, you know, we were going to talk about this for 30 minutes and still not feel like we had any kind of answer towards what this, what this, might look like in a, yeah. in a perfect uh, utopian society. And, and here we are like, there's, yeah. we are a complicated people. Mm-hmm. So. I'm hoping to do a class on, on utopias at some point. Um, because I, I really don't think we have an imagination for what is possible. And I'm hoping the retreat we do where we bring people together and really have these conversations that we can talk about the materiality of another possible world. Right. I think we are, we are handicapped in our imagination for what is possible. And we, we limit ourselves both intentionally and unintentionally because of how we are conditioned and what we believe we have the capacity to, to reach for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have helped me understand that more is possible mm-hmm. um, when we are intentional about how we name it and, mm-hmm. and, and, ask for it and reach for it and define it. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it is one of those conversations that allows people to just kind of sit with the what if, mm-hmm. to sit with the, that recognition of like, oh my God, like I, like, like I could actually, we could actually have that. We could actually um, be in that state. Mm-hmm. If we, if we were to, to put some, some praxis behind it. Yeah. So, yeah. So we are um, excited that you've joined us friends. We are doing our best to record regularly. You've now gotten yep. a couple of weeks in a row from us. So we hope, yep. um, we hope you're as glad to be uh, back with us as we are to be back with you. Um, we, Again, we'll be making an announcement about this retreat very soon. We'll be opening the registration um, in just a few short weeks. So please do stay tuned for when that's going to happen and how you would go about joining us on this adventure. Or if you wanted to maybe sponsor someone to attend. Yes. Yeah. We'll have more information about that too. We want, we want to make this accessible in all ways. And so it's really important to us that uh, we do that both um, physically and financially. So we're going to, we're going to have a lot of options for you. So just stay tuned um, on that with us. Um, The best way to stay tuned is to follow us at activist theology um, and join us online at activisttheology.com or in our app, atporch.com. We've got a lot coming down the pike and we're really excited to be doing it with each other and to be engaging you in the work as well as we all continue to get our hands dirty in the search and the desire for liberation. Yes. Until next week, Roberto. Here's to Ethical Futures. We want to thank you for listening this week. We encourage you to share this podcast with your community. If you enjoy us and our work in the world, 
please give us five stars on your podcast platform. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.com and click on podcast. We can only do this work with the help of you, our listeners. You have no idea how much even a small monthly or one-time gift means to this work. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by Delta Ray. Our sound editor is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. I get my hands dirty. You are listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends.